Hey guys, before we get started, we have a very special guest today. I'm super excited. I know Matt's pumped as hell. He's been trying to get <laughs> yeah, to this I guy know. forever. Uh, but follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and our website, LaunchpadPod.com. You are going to want to watch this one on YouTube as well. If you're listening in your car, don't worry about it. Keep listening. But we uh, get to talk to a very cool creator who has an awesome office, and Matt shows off some of his personal art. Matt, you've been trying to collect these cards forever. Yeah, are we going to tease it or should I just jump right in? And jump right in. Say what it is, man. So Here in 1988, there's an amazing card series released from Tops called Dinosaurs Attack. And yeah. it's about dinosaurs coming into quote unquote modern times, which is the late 80s. And just fucking things up. They're fucking just destroying and up. just so violent. It, the most, it probably was the most over the top thing I'd seen at the time. I was six or seven years old when these cards came out. <laughs> and my parents didn't really look at what they were buying me. So I got to get all these cards of dinosaurs, literally shredding people apart, ripping people. There's dinosaurs eating high tension wires and the wires are zapping people to death, squishing. There's a, a great one of an army general in a dinosaur's footprint. And his entire midsection is just gore and bones. And it, I loved it. It was just so gory there's, and awesome. There's a, a dinosaur spikes on his back uh, in London, just impaling people. There's a people person are jumping impaled, out of a burning yeah. building and landing on top just, of this dinosaur spikes. spike. It was uh. just gratuitous for the sake of, and it was beautiful. It was every five-year-old monster-loving kid's dream. Here's a roller um, coaster going right into a T-Rex's mouth, like a full, <laughs> cars full of people just screaming as they go into a T-Rex's mouth. Just so violent, so bloody. You showed this to me when we were roommates. You were like, mm -hmm. have you ever seen this? I was like, no. And you're like, check this out. And I immediately was like, this is rad. It's just I so cool. Loved. If you guys haven't checked it out, look up right now. Dinosaurs, Dinosaurs attack, attack. Exclamation yeah. point. I Trading loved card. Mars Attacks as a kid. This came out. It was out, the same principle yeah, as same Mars principle. Attacks, right? Just with dinosaurs. Just but ramped up. This is like formative for me in my childhood. It made me love this shit, this gore, this violence, this action, this dinosaur yeah. stuff so much. Um, but it's one of those things that not as many people who are familiar with nerdy shit like you and me rooms are into or know about. And there's been so many people that I would have thought knew, even in like, you know, doing horror makeup and horror effects. I would have thought every fucking kid had seen these. Yeah. So many haven't. So I've gotten to yeah. like show so many, but I was able to get in touch with the series creator, uh, Gary Girani, and he is here today. He's going to chat us up, tell us a little bit about uh, what got him into it, how he got into the company, how he got this idea, tell some good stories behind some of the jokes and stuff in there. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk cards. about. We're going to get to it. I just want to briefly give an overview of what this is, what like the plot of Dinosaurs Attacks is, because oh, it's amazing. Because it's, it's a story. There's an overarching it's a story. story for so the there's a space station that mm -hmm. starts some time experiments to see how the dinosaurs went extinct and they accidentally teleport the dinosaurs to modern times all over the world and dinosaurs literally start teleporting into cities and fucking shit up teleporting into other people like literally fly style fucking people up uh, and then the scientists have to like sacrifice themselves to destroy the dinosaurs and they like reverse the time loop and literally there's a card that's like mm -hmm. ripped out of time where the dinosaurs like their skin is being ripped off and their Getting skulls are being into a vortex, sucked right? into a vortex. Um, the supreme evil dinosaur devil appears at one point and starts fighting <laughs> the scientists. And this literally looks like a giant Satan triceratops. Yeah, it like, was essentially this evil dinosaur that the other dinosaurs worshipped. Yeah. And like that's at the end of the series and you're like, what <laughs> yeah. the fuck? Yeah. It gets so bonkers, and then and then all the dinosaurs get sucked back in time, and it and is. And the best thing is, and we didn't bananas. really discuss this before, but 
the end of the car, uh, the end of the series, all these dinosaurs get thrown back in time and they're being ripped apart from ripped modern apart. day. And at the end, it says we started this experiment to see what killed all the dinosaurs. It was us. Yeah. The end. And you're like, oh, shit, that's actually pretty good writing. That's like, that's fucking deep, right? I didn't, we didn't even think about to talk about that earlier. <laughs> It's amazing. You guys should check it out. Please, please. If you are at home near a computer, go look up Dinosaurs Attacks. You can look at every card. You can read the fronts, look at the backs, read the story. But we are going to start to talk. We are going to get to talk to the creator today, and I cannot wait. Let's get into it. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Matt, we have a huge guest, a legend in the trading card game, man. Oh, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm super pumped because, Matt, since I've known you, you've always brought out these cards and you've been yeah, like, man. Rumi, check this out. I'm like, what? That dinosaur's eating a bus full of children. <laughs> so I cannot wait to talk to this guy. Rumi, I know you have been just jonesing to talk to this guy. You're so excited. Who's, who's our special guest, Rumi? Who do we got? So we have uh, the trading card king, the one and only Gary Girani is here, and he is responsible for some of the best trading card series, best non-sport trading card series that you remember from as a kid. Multiple, multiple Star Wars galaxies. Uh, he's one of the main brains behind the Garbage Pail Kids, which I know we all know. But if you know dinosaurs attacks, you will be just as excited for this chat as I am. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. We're I'm so excited to, to be here. Anybody who's, any, you know, you guys are so interested in this stuff. It's fine with me. I spent all these years doing it. And it's great to know that people really enjoy it. So you're you, you big in the trading card game. You're also an author, a writer, a screen. You know, you've written screenplays, but the trading cards. How did you get started at Tops? Where did that come from? Where was the genesis of getting on board? Well, always, a, always an interesting story, right? Uh, I was still uh, still in college uh, uh, back in Brooklyn. You know, this is going back um, 70, 71. Uh, and uh, my first professional writing, I, I was I, I went to the high school of art and design. I thought I was going to be an artist. OK, and I'm pretty good. Uh, but I got discouraged when I saw so many other of my fellow students who I thought were so much better than I was. And I start to get, oh, okay, gee, guys, God. it was great when I was a big fish in a little pond, but okay. So what happened was uh, just kind of by accident, I started writing and selling my writing. And my first bit of writing that I ever sold professionally was for a monster magazine called the Monster Times, which was really a, uh, newspaper format uh, monster magazine. And I had written articles. I started writing articles for them, and they were humor articles. The first piece I ever wrote was Confessions of the Creature from the Black Lagoon, where I had to become the creature and talk about all those millions of years in the Amazon and then how Hollywood discovered me. And I go, you know, I was one of those guys. It was very <laughs> cute. Very, very cute. I, I was all set to do a very serious and scholarly 
kind of straightforward kind of article on the creature from the Black Lagoon. For the Monster Times, which was a kind of funky, funny kind of a publication. No, 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 no. Uh, do you have imagination? Do you have humor? Can you give us this? All right, let me give it a shot. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, even though that was at a time when we wanted to take our monster movie seriously and doing the funny kind of silly thing seemed like a little regressive, uh, I did get a kick out of it. And ultimately, that led to Tops hiring me. Uh, uh, in between that was the perversity of uh, I collected movies. Back in the 70s, uh, the only way you could collect movies, this is pre-video, pre-all of that, was to get 16-millimeter prints through the black market. Um, and the movie studios would sell their old prints to, to different, you know, and, and collectors would buy them. And Len Brown, who was the... Uh, 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 the uh, creative director of new product development at Tops was a film collector. And uh, writing for the Monster Times, I, they also gave me a free classified ad. So I said, wanted 16 millimeter science fiction movies, things of that sort. <laughs> and Lem Brown calls me up and he says, I collect that stuff too. What we're talking about. And I read your articles and, and, you know, would you like to come down and write some gags for us, write some stuff for us? So I said, sure, what the hell? I lived in Brooklyn. Tops was a Brooklyn company. It was legendary in Brooklyn, of course. Uh, and so I went down there and I just wonder if we could say the rest is history. Uh, I felt totally at home. Uh, Lenny was fantastic. Lenny Brown had had written the text for the original Mars Attacks. So he was one of my heroes. Uh, and that very first day when I was there, they had me writing uh, gags for the classic universal horror movies, you know, they used to have the trading card sets, the creature features, all that kind of thing. And that was a very uh, time-honored tradition. Uh, I collected those monster movie cards when I was a kid, which is just a few years earlier. Sure. You gotta remember, I, I was buying the trading cards as a, a, a customer uh, right up until 1969, where they put out the Planet of the Apes cards based on the movie. And then two years later, I'm creating these things for them, you know, whatever. So the the changeover from being a kid buying it to being a professional creating it was just like, you know, almost overnight. Uh, so there I was now writing funny captions for the classic horror, horror movies. And uh, some captions I realized I was told uh, uh, were traditional captions that we kept repeating. And I, I kept that tradition going here is that hi, I'm the new babysitter is a gag you will find <laughs> yeah. everywhere, okay? Uh, and another one was, boy, they sure have ugly girls in this neighborhood, and of course, it's an <laughs> ugly monster. Uh, and those we kept going year and years uh, after that. Ages later, I created something from the called Fright Flicks, which was that same format with the funny captions, yep. with glory in color modern monsters. Instead of Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, it was the predator and the alien and 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 all those things. And I even managed to get my own monster who had just been produced that year, Pumpkinhead, into that set as well. Oh, so cool. So <laughs> I think I don't know. But I don't know if the Predator or Freddy Krueger, one of them is saying hi, I'm the new babysitter. But it's <laughs> we kept that whole thing going. So that was what I did the very first day. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was a funky thing that first day because when you license a product from a movie studio, it's not like you're doing a generic magazine where you can print photos, you don't have to worry too much. Once it becomes a licensed product, all kinds of other things are, legal things are involved. So while they could run the photos of the monsters who look like monsters, 
if they were carrying a pretty girl or menacing somebody, that actor or actress's face that looked like a normal person, uh -huh. we couldn't use. So we had to take photos of people who worked at Tops and superimpose our faces <laughs> over Julie Adams, <laughs> over whoever it was. So in addition to writing funny captions, my face was super over Karloff. Uh, and, 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 and whatever it was, a couple of these things, I'm suddenly doubling for Boris Karloff, and you know, it was, it was pretty crazy. That explains so, that so much. I've always wondered why the faces looked funny. Like, <laughs> I swear, I swear, my my entire life, I've, I, I've had some of the fright ones, and I've had, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I collected the Universal Monster ones, and there was always like, why? Why is that somebody else's face? I know that's not. Yeah, I know that's not right. You know, and 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 sometimes you know, for better or worse, some of them are seamless, and some of them are you know a little super. Yeah, the heads are kind of falling off a little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, wow, no, that, that it, makes it, sense. As, as years went on, I I tried to um, ignore or, or these pictures that had other people in them, uh, uh, and then it got it got more complicated because then. The Karloff estate and and the Lugosi estate, whatever they they got hipper about all this. So when we did a wonderful one of my best sets I ever did of the hundreds and hundreds of card sets I've created or done for Todd, um, uh, Universal Monsters Illustrated, which was done in the '90s, which mm -hmm. was a scholarly set. Yeah, where, where, where we hired like the top illustrators in comics and whatever to we had ten of the classic Universal horror movies. And and, you know, we went that route with that. And by then I really had to you know be careful of everything. And the the Karloff estate and the other, you know, they all got their piece of the action. Uh, but way back when it was just product that they were wow. sure the studios were and, and they didn't clear rights to things like that. This was especially true when it came to the storyline TV shows. People have always commented, gee, how come? The Outer Limits, I saw that episode. It wasn't like what the trading card was. Well, we didn't have the rights to the storylines. Right. Uh, so we, so Len Brown had to make up uh, these crazy plots. And uh, uh, I wound up doing a lot of that, too. Uh, I see the thing is, being a film historian, being a guy who was took all this seriously, I, I, I wanted it usually to be serious. But uh, I remember when, when we did the Incredible Hulk, the Lou Ferrigno show, uh, I carefully wrote the episodes because I, I was aware of what the episodes were, what the photos came from, whatever. And then Universal came out, we can't use any of this. <laughs> so, so I just had to write some generic stuff and, and put puzzle back images on the backs instead of text. And I had written this great, wonderful material that just couldn't be used. So that's uh, Adventures in the Trading Card. Now, you're talking about the, the, the legal pitfalls mm -hmm. and ramification of some of these card sets that have franchises and already have a movie base you as a, as a film fan and as a hit like a film fanatic collector historian you said that this stuff is serious for you so when you're doing you know like the universal monsters especially from a, a you know a parody angle mm -hmm. not just legality pitfalls and trying to walk that straight line but are you ever like writing a joke or writing the text of a card and like being like, is, is this OK to say about this? Like this property that means something to me? Am I stepping on toes with this? <laughs> uh, well, I'd be stepping on my own toes if you're, you're saying because in a way it means, as you said, it means something to me. Sure. Uh, when I had to do that with my own monster, 
and 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 you know i have pumpkin head saying you know uh, could you pass the shrimp to tempura or something you know i mean all these <laughs> silly nonsensical things so by then i was into the whole zone of it mm-hmm. i could never have created dinosaurs attack if i didn't uh appreciate the bizarre humor that can come out of these outrageous situations uh the monsters were outrageous to begin with, so they lent themselves to funny gags. Uh, with Dinosaurs Attack, of course, we the whole thing was a parody of excessiveness in general, of everything. So that really went, went over the top. In, in a sense, it was a parody of tops. It was a parody sure. of the kind of products we did where, where we had no restraints and we were just... We were big kids. That's why I fit in right away. <laughs> and and like like kids, you know, you're, you're mischievous and you're looking to get back at the establishment. And that was the secret of Topps' success because we did these gleefully subversive products that uh, kids would respond to and the parents would go nuts, you know, whatever. So we would even create, oh my God, I remember we, things that you could put in your notebooks at school to fake out the teachers and you could be doing your stuff and what they think you're doing your work. <laughs> I mean, it was every naughty, crazy thing. So I love the split personality of Tops because on the one hand, it was the all-American baseball card company. But on the other hand, it was this mad magazine, crazy, subversive, nutty stuff that kids adored. Uh, and then you had all the movie and TV tie-ins, which, of course, we just kind of loved because we loved these properties. So it, it, it offered everything. And I have to say, it was the greatest education I ever could have had right. creatively because uh, they had you do everything. Now, like I, like I mentioned, I thought I was going to be an artist and uh, uh, I trained for it. I loved doing it, whatever. And uh, I ended up becoming a tops was an art director without even actually having the title. But uh, I would be choosing and hiring some of the greatest illustrators and basically telling them what to do. Uh, 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 it was. Uh, let me rephrase that. You can't tell an artist what to do. You're defying his worth as an artist, but uh, you have to direct them if they're doing so. If I'm doing a Mars Attacks card and I'll be sitting down with an artist saying, hey, here's an interesting idea. Uh, this original series came out in the early 60s when Kennedy, JFK, was president. Why don't we have a Martian grabbing JFK in the Oval Office, okay? And then the artist would go, oh, that's a great idea. And then when we could put this in the background, do that. yeah, right, right. So what I wound up doing, and then I would do pencil sketches, rough sketches. So I would sort of, by proxy, be a part of the creation of all this art. That's how I managed to get that whole past desire to be an artist i said now i have a better artist following what i want to see done Mm. a better artist than i am hey so so you get to draw like stick figures and composition and he makes it look (laughs) amazing i mean it's incredible the the work that you guys did and you pack so much in each of these cards and like you know for example on, on like dinosaurs attack one of my favorite ones is lights camera carnage and it's on the set of a godzilla movie and you literally are doing this homage to the original poster with like the characters is like looking the up actors just like, are there right yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, uh and what's great is it's a parody on so many different levels yeah be, be, because it's it's inherently it's a parody because these are the people who make giant monster movies in japan and now one of the things is just crashing right in on them but by having the original actors you're doing a parody of the original publicity stills of them looking up in terror or whatever so it's the multi-levels and and people look at it just on the surface they get the obvious joke but there's all this other stuff that is embedded in it 
it it it it, it really was me going completely berserk. Uh, and you know, I say it was a parody of Tops as much as everything else. That's why I used all the faces of all the people. Remember, we're talking about this thing with the faces. Well, my painter, uh, or basically all painters, if you want to do portraits of people or realistic images of people, it's great to work from photos and all that. So I simply posed all the people at Tops in these screaming positions, and I turned myself into Elias Thorne who was the guy who started the whole problem with this time, you know, wrecking machine that he invented. Uh, so it, myself, it makes perfect sense that I play the guy because this was my idea and my project. So it was a parody of me. It was a parody of all of us at Tops, you know, in addition to being the parody that everybody got, which was of old 50s monster movies and excessive stuff of that nature. I'm Weird. looking at when your you first got this idea like you're you know, you're doing all this amazing, fun, unrestrained work at Tops. How do you have this idea that will delight and har like delight children and horrify moms for years <laughs> to come? Right. Oh, God, I still enjoy just like the whole idea. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you see that that's why I fit in. That's like if you to work at MPD or to work there, you had to be nuts this way. The, the thing that you're mentioning is very interesting because when I first started working at Tops, I'm doing all this fun, crazy stuff. But obviously, <laughs> Mars Attacks made such a tremendous impression on me. They came out into uh, ideal age. I was a kid at the time. Uh, Mars Attacks had gone further than any science fiction movie had ever gone in terms of sadism, in terms of the violence. To this day, I'm still haunted by destroying a dog. You know, yeah. human mm -hmm. beings can be killed like right and left. Who cares? We've seen people incinerated, turning into skeletons in the War of the Worlds. And you know, it's all well and good. <laughs> but destroying a kid's pet. I mean, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. and, and look at the look at the intensity and melodrama of that painting with the little boy going, no, no, no. And the dog is being zapped. And the his back is flitting off the the, the fur is just fine. Oh my yeah, god! Every one of the vertebrae just oh my god! So you know, uh, uh, incredible. So <laughs> having experienced that, and in my mind as a kid, always picturing it as a movie. Of course, that's what you do, right? Uh, what a movie that would have made. Uh, one of the first things I did at Tops was try to do another science fiction horror painted series like that. I, I pitched something called The Colossals, which was uh, like an H.P. Lovecraft uh, uh, take on, on this kind of thing. So it was gelatinous tentacled monstrosities from beyond the stars that were wrecking our cities rather than Martians. Uh, interestingly enough, Tops didn't get that. They didn't understand Lovecraft. They said, wait a minute, is this horror or is this fiction well it's kind of both it's the supernatural and it's like don't you get it lovecraft very popular with college kids it's you know they didn't get that but then they told me something even more horrifying which is these things don't sell then the mars attacks for as much as you loved it gary uh the sales figures they just don't sell they beat items and people go crazy because they're so intense but nobody knows what they are they don't have the popularity because they're not based on a movie or anything so what it would cost to have 50 paintings done there, you know, it, it's like this big budget movie without a, 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 an audience. So that broke my heart. I also had pitched to them Mars Attacks again, a sequel. Okay. 
So I had to put all my ideas of a painted monster sci-fi series of that sort away for quite a while. But then in the 80s, there was a dinosaur revival. Uh, uh, kids have always loved dinosaurs. I grew up going to museum all the time. I love this sure. stuff. But, yeah. but, but yeah, I was a Brooklyn kid. You go to the museum. Uh, but uh, 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 I don't know what was going on in the 80s. You had Barney. You had all of a sudden dinosaurs were hit and it was a fad. And what we did at Tops was always to jump in. We were doing funny dinosaurs. We were doing that. You know, and that's when I said, what if, what if we did a dinosaur version of the Martian set? Now, this was right after we had done Garbage Pail Kids, which was not my my project. I designed one of the prototypes. It was one of the prototypes that really resembled what it came out to look like. As a matter of fact, my prototype was some guy with pinstripes like a convict, and that kind of evolved into Electric Bill in Series 1. But that really wasn't my project. You had Art Spiegelman. You had all those guys doing it. I did a few for them. I did the parody of the Mars Attacks thing, you know, where I, we had sneakers on the Mars. I don't know what we did. So I, I did a few, but it really wasn't my job. I was busy editing Howard the Duck and other movies and other crazy things that, that we were doing. Uh, but Dinosaurs Attack, that was my baby. They loved the whole idea. They said, let's take a shot. And because Garbage Pail Kids was such a huge hit, this gave me uh, a budget. They said, all right, let's take a chance on this thing. Maybe this will be the next big thing, right? So now I, I was able to finally do the painted monstering the World kind of series I always wanted to do for Tops. And I jumped at the chance. I, I went absolutely crazy with it. Uh, and there you have it. Amazing. I mean, there's so much more to it than there you have it. Well, okay. So now you, you have this amazing idea. Tops is interested. When you had the idea, did you already have some either your mind raring to go or did you have to use any, you know, picture this, a McDonald's, but there's a Brontosaurus smashing through it. Did you already have a couple of these ideas in mind at that moment, at that time? Yeah, I think, I think we all did. Uh, in other words, I think, when I originally proposed, I remember when I originally brought it up, there was Lenny in the room and Art Spiegelman and a couple of other guys, and they got it instantly because it was it wasn't hard to understand. It was just do the dinosaurs killing people instead of Mars. Right. And and uh, Gary, whatever you come up with for a story, that's fine. But uh, uh, as long as you've got dinosaurs uh, attacking people, that's uh, and and okay. Here's the other thing that was a little different. Let me just things okay a little bit uh um mars attacks it's hard to it's hard to believe now because of the tim burton movie but mars attacks in its original form was totally serious not a fraction of humor not a drop of humor is the most because stories usually especially from the 50s or whatever were not tongue-in-cheek at all they were straight serious kind of things so when I did Dinosaurs Attack, there was an understanding that it was going to be a satire. I was going to try to be able to do everything that Mars Attacks did, but there was that extra thing that Mars Attacks never had, which was a wink. Uh, it, it, it was going to be, this was the age of Garbage Pail, because the age of, of, of making fun of things. So it had that element. Now, I had to say to myself, I'm going to create something that's going to be funny and satiric and wound up being a satire of everything, including us at Tops. And the whole way Tops went over the top with everything they did. Uh, but it, it had to have melodrama. It had to be serious enough. You could take the story 
oh, as such as it was, uh, seriously, it had something Mars Attacks never had, which was real characters uh, and characters that had conflicts. Uh, uh, again, you're doing a, you're, if you're doing a takeoff in a beat, of all the science fiction and classic monster movies that had all these high sounding themes, the man who played God, Dr. Frankenstein plays God. Well, my scientist was a Dr. Frankenstein kind of guy, uh, well-intentioned, but you know, everything goes crazy. And this is how he's punished uh, for playing God. Uh, but as I got into more and more, there was this whole metaphysical idea I wanted to make sure my dinosaurs weren't just rampaging animals. They had an evil god behind them. Uh, and here's the perversity. My scientists, as we find out in the graphic novel, I was able to get into this a little more, gave up believing in God when he lost a younger brother or whatever it was, years which I based on me losing my cousin Joe, who died of AIDS. And uh, that's when he realized God, and he was going to be but there should be a God. <laughs> there should be someone <laughs> who you can, he, you know, became that. But man can't play God. And as a result, all of this happens. But ironically, when he faces the dinosaur devil God at the end, that means we must have one, too. My faith is restored. I love the exorcist. <laughs> I've got my faith back, even though I'm dead and it's horrible ending. So Underneath all of this stuff, which, of course, the kids never got because it's always, you know, whatever. This was all the underpinning, real interesting stuff. Well, so, you guys deal with some high concept of mat materialization when you appear shared mm -hmm. with somebody else and you're trapped inside <laughs> of each other. Like yeah. for anybody who doesn't know, there's a card um, It's called Entombed and it's a dinosaur that has appeared in time in this exact same spot as another man. And the man is like trapped inside of him, kind of like the fly from exactly. Cronenberg's the or, fly. Or transporter yeah. malfunction gone completely off right. the top. Uh, yeah, well, the thing is, you have this concept to work with, and then you have to think, how, what could you squeeze out of the concept? What different, yeah. you know, working with that idea. So at some point I hit that, yeah, what if they get happened in the same space and everything? Like, as much horror. The, and again, funny in a sick way the way that scenario works out there's a bunch of hunters yeah. <laughs> and ultimately one of them has to shoot the ah, ah to put him out of his misery as he's in this you know hellish and it's like uh, that's a parody of a scene we've seen in a movie so many times uh i'll put you out of your misery and and, and you know whatever and, and the whole thing it was tragic but ludicrous and funny and nutty and i just said yeah you just just keep piling more and more and 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 that was tops you just keep going as far as you could go i mean we couldn't have nudity you couldn't have you couldn't sure. saying going far you had to be whatever but in terms of violence boy oh boy now now i, I they did transfer one or two irate mothers to, to talk to me about this <laughs> and i remember explaining to one of them and i actually sort of converted her in the end saying look kids need a release kids are helpless they're in this adult world. Why do you think they like monster movies? They, these are power symbols, the way they can get. It's good therapy for kids. That's what we're providing. Now, if this was about slashers, something that was like in the real world, I'd say you're right. right? But this is made up craziness. The crazier, the better. It's like King Kong stomping on buildings or whatever. We know that's not real. But kids, it's good for kids. And this mom really said, you know, I never thought. I said, well, see, 
it helped me as a kid. I'm, I'm helping other kids the same way, get all their frustrations out. And uh, that bullshit actually kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, that bullshit is actually kind of true, right? And yeah, it's, no, 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 I, you know, I, you and I talked before <laughs> the interview. We've been talking to each other for a while. And like these cards are absolutely, without a doubt, one of the big tent poles of why I wanted to do special effects, why I loved horror, why I loved violence and, and gore and over the top stuff in movies. Um, before I show something cool f- that I have, I wanted to ask you, and I realize we, we've mentioned and we've explained what this card series is, but for anybody listening who does not actually know it and hasn't looked it up yet, Gary, can you tell us a couple either of your favorite ideas that you had or your favorite paintings from this series? Just verbally paint the picture for seven of some of your favorite cards. Okay. Uh, uh, earliest ones that we had done, obviously, I was just so excited. Uh to get this project going. My original choice for a painter for the series was Earl Norum. Uh, Earl was a great painter who came from that classic of illustration magazine kind of guys. And the original painter of Mars Attacks was Norm Saunders. Norm, Norm Saunders, that's another (laughs) similar to begin with. Um, But Earl Norum painted very much in that same pulpy kind of style right. okay with with a lot of highlights and, and and that kind of thing very very strong contrast uh but earl unfortunately was not available during our scheduled time and so i got him to do some but i had to find another another artist and uh chet darmstetter had done some pieces uh, it was an underground artist who was also known as exno and his portraits yeah. And that grabbed me. And I said, oh, this is great. There's a uh, he'll give us a sense of reality, uh, which will also resemble the, the the movie posters with people. Oh, you know, you always have these heads in the in the corner and all that. And I said, OK, he, so he became the main artist on the card set. When I did the graphic novel, I was able to get Earl back again. And of course, Herb Trimpey became our uh, penciler, Herb, who had done G.I. Joe comics, all this other stuff that uh, was really appropriate. He knew how to do fighting uh, material. Um, So the way the process worked, I would come up with the concept and then I would do a rough sketch. And some of my rough sketches were pretty tight, were pretty, pretty, pretty good. And then Herb, who was a real artist, would then take my rough and and make a really beautiful tight version. And then the painter would come in and do the finish at that point. And of course, I would provide whatever, if, if there's people in the shot, I provide photos of the people to work from, uh, so the painter could work from those. Uh, but that was essentially it. You come up with the notion, uh, you do a, a rough pencil, you then get a tight pencil, and then you get the painting done. And uh, so to answer your question, I, I just realized, yeah, uh, uh, probably homeroom horror was was <laughs> yeah, that was one of the earliest because that really got the kids where they lived. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it got them, literally got them where they worked, right? <laughs> where, where they lived and died. Uh, but but uh, God, I remember we did. I put silly things on the blackboard. Didn't I have like a frog jumping? Frog out? jumping! Yeah, out I mean, of I mean yeah. there's always some. There's always different little touches there. That this is a card absurd. with a purple allosaurus smashing through a schoolroom, with three or four kids hanging just, in his mouth. Blood everywhere. The teacher. The teacher is so stabbing it in the yes, eye yes, with that's a pointer. Yeah, that's a really. Good and one. the best part about that whole card was on on the back of these cards, guys. 
most cards had a newspaper article yes. about what was happening on the front that gave you like the backstory. And all of them were dead serious, but with hilarious jokes in there. Right. Let me tell you, let me tell you something about that. Uh, as much as I loved doing these cards and the paintings and the whole concept and all that, the backs of this series, <laughs> Mars attacks was just one uniform design for all the band. The text would fit in that and all well and good. But because this was a parody, I was doing a parody of our backs as well. And I said, I'm going to go nuts and I'm going to have all different kinds of, I don't know how they let me get away with this, uh, clicks. So, uh, uh, the newspaper thing was telling, you know, Sicilia, you got, you got that flavor. Then I had the diary or the journal scientist to get what was going on, having these nightmares. Is there a devil God out? What's going mm -hmm. on there? Whatever. And then I would just go crazy with other stuff. Uh, there was the one with the 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 the, the wedding invitation. Bloody wedding the invitation. Triceratops <laughs> with with a bride skewered on one horn, the the groom on the other, uh, the thing st stomping on the wedding cake. All this crazy stuff, and on the back, it's the wedding invitation, and just straight the way it would be, but with blood splats. Brilliant, all over it. It's brilliant. Uh, for an example, for homeroom horror, it's the Denver Globe is the newspaper backache. And in the middle of it, you read it, it's like it attacked eight kids, fought the substitute teacher. It says it's, students were chewed beyond recognition is what it says. And, and then it okay. says, here, here's my favorite part of it. It says, uh, ironically, the massacre took place during a natural history lesson where the extinction of the dinosaurs was a topic of tonight's homework. Surviving students will be excused from this assignment. I was like, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Incredible. You, you, you know, and, and I didn't really, I never considered myself necessarily a comedy writer, even though it was comedy writing in the sense that got me my job at Tops and all of that. We had real comedy writers working for us. Uh, uh, Stan Hart, uh, who was the head writer of the Carol Burnett show and, and who did all, all those great Mad Magazine parodies over the years. Uh, he was one of our group. So whenever we had real humor stuff that had to be done, uh, you'd have a guy like that. And even Artie, who was brilliant at that, and some other guys that were just fantastic humorous. Um, I was more the movie, sci-fi, horror guy, you know, which was important, commercial stuff very much. Uh, but this thing just came out of me so naturally. <laughs> it was like sick, sick humor that just just flowed. Um, and it did reflect, I guess, the whole tops thing, which was seeping into me in every conceivable way at that point. Uh, <laughs> gotta remember, I was there nine to five. I was the only creative person in MPD who was there every single day. And it, they would throw everything at me because if, if you're on staff, you're, they're not going to let you twiddle your thumbs for a little bit. They're going to. So I got it. Like I say, a suitable education creating storyboards for their commercials, you know, all kinds of great stuff. So I love Tops for that. Uh, no way you can get an education like that across the board. I learned how to edit magazines. I learned how to do books. I learned how to art direct, uh, you know, just, just fantastic. Uh, I know everybody who worked there uh, thinks of it as this golden era of, of unreality that we were all able to indulge in and have a sure. great, it was like being in high school again, except better. <laughs> uh, Old enough uh, to appreciate it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was, it was great. And I, I was a, I was a very lucky guy in life because I always uh, was able to make a living doing creative work. And 
thank God, because I never could have made normal. I mean, <laughs> so That's a t-shirt, but, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and and so the other things I've done in my career have also been fun. This whether it was writing Pumpkinhead or or doing the fantastic television book or or any, it's always been that way for me. So this was probably like the purest, most absurd example of that. And I've been, I was, I've been with the company for half a century. You know, I started in the early days and only now with the doors closed because of COVID uh, and the company changing that it's finally, and I'm, you know, getting a nice pension from them. And uh, my, my old card sets are reprinted like in, in book form now. Yeah. I'm hired yeah. to write the introductions and the comment commentaries on my own cards which is, I guess, what I'm doing now, right? Yeah. Same, same thing. <laughs> That's so amazing. I have to tell you, these are these card sets, you know, Mars Attacks, Dinosaurs Attacks, Garbage Mail Kids, were so inspirational to me. As a kid, I used to draw my own trading cards and give them out at school and get in trouble for them. Um, they were called Graveyard Ghoulies, and they were drawn... <laughs> Like on uh, they were drawn on little uh, index cards that I would cut in half, and on the I back I've never heard this. On the back, I'd draw a picture, and I got in so much trouble when I drew a man. His rib cage was exposed by e being eaten by spiders, and and it was spiders attack was the, was the name of the card. And I gave that out at school, and they were like, "Where did you see this?" And I'm like. Saw it at the comic book. Like, I, I, Gary I just showed made it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it was, and it's from that dog, the dog thing that you mentioned, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. exposed rib cage of the mailman getting shot, like Mars attacks. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to draw this all day. You know, they were like, let's we, we take did, away his our, red crayon. Our, our, um, homage to destroying a dog and dinosaurs attack or crushing a canine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, where we had a foot, you know, it's not like you know, it's it's a Godzilla uh, versus Bambi moment. <laughs> yeah, you're right. That that is that is what it is. And didn't we have like I think a little girl? Oh, because it's her dog on the leash. That's <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> but again, you see, there's the difference. I mean, there's the humor. It, it's never going to have the effect that the original destroying a dog had. It was a different era, a different different sensibility. But I tried to compensate with all that melodrama. And, yeah. You know, I think that's a key aspect of it is is the melodrama lends a serious sort yeah. of side to it. But then getting to tell the joke that, you know, the kids are excused from the dinosaur homework. Like, that's great. And then, like you said, you your face is the doctor. Is yeah. he? You, um, so you're the final card. Ultimate sacrifice. You flip the card over on the back. It says time to die. And I think it's a close up of your face going yeah. ah, in yeah, fire. In face job on the uh I, I use Christopher Lee's peeling face from Horror of Dracula as the inspiration. You'll see all of that. Awesome. And the artist who did that for me in our art department, I gave him that photo. <laughs> okay. I uh, did a great job. I'm really That's awesome. I remember, I remember my mother was so hot. Oh my God, Gary, look at how well, you know, I'm, I'm an actor here for a moment. So I was giving my all uh, too funny. Now we're talking about the seriousness of this card mixed in with the jokes. And you went yeah. into a little bit here and I've read uh, other interviews that you've given where you've said that, you know, the Mars Attack movie, in your opinion, didn't really get it right. It didn't have the same tone and the same idea mm -hmm. about the, where the joke should be and how much jokes there should be. And I know that you feel the same about uh, Dinosaurs Attack. How would this be a move? Like, if, if mm -hmm. you were making this movie, I'm sure you've envisioned it, right? Mm -hmm. Can you try to explain to us what your you know, motion picture version of this movie would be? What would it look like? What would it feel like? What okay. would it have and what would it not have? Let me, let me, let me uh, give you a movie that is exactly, exactly what Dinosaurs Attack should be okay. in terms of tone. 
Ironically, there was a movie that came out the same year I did Dinosaurs Attack, the original RoboCop. The original RoboCop is with over-the-top violence that becomes funny. But underneath it all is melodrama. Right, right, right. You have man trying to figure out who he is as a human, whatever, his wife, his memories and all that. It was exactly what I had done. You have a human story, and then you have your in exaggerated situations. To It gets to the point where it's... So you have your satire. They even, even the commercials that they have that were funny. Yeah. People up my, the headlines on the... So it was exactly that that was the tone uh now dinosaurs attack was optioned twice by hollywood um uh three times if we include my own option uh uh originally um uh, joe dante had had optioned it and i actually i i was sort of friendly with joe and i i brought down the art as i was doing it to him uh. and and he's gone oh my god oh my god oh my god so so he came on he was just coming off of gremlins and all this and awesome. so so uh he had warner brothers option it to make a big movie out of it uh and i thought oh god you know this is my because i had already got pumpkin head and oh okay you know uh, uh, so I wrote some kind of treatment or whatever, but it really wasn't what they wanted. I realized what was going on is they wanted to make it a pretty much attack of the killer tomatoes, but with dinosaurs, which meant that all that melodrama was gone. Yeah. Uh, the serious side was gone. There was going to be no devil, God, dinosaur, you know, none of that too weird, too, too crazy. It would just be a parody of the 1950s kind of monster movies. Uh, Okay, that eventually it was it, it was it was announced in the trades. Unfortunately, what happened? Or maybe it's fortunate. I don't know. Uh, uh, another big fan of the trading card of my trading cards was Michael Crichton, uh, and uh, he pretty much created Jurassic Park after saying, "Gee, I should do something like that. I'll do a better version of this." And so he created Jurassic Park, and uh, 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 all of a sudden. His novel in 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 early form or whatever uh, went out to Hollywood, and uh, my movie had already been announced. And uh, all of a sudden, including Joe, was jumping on that too because it was Michael Crichton and whatever. So uh, Jurassic Park nudged Dinosaurs Attack out of the game. When I created Dinosaur, my idea was to bring back the dinosaurs attacking cities in the 20s of this genre, which had, which had been extinct for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the expression. Good choice. Of uh, and, 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 uh, so Michael Crichton did his version. I have to admit his concept, uh, uh you know, that whole thing in the Amber and the mosquito was, I mean, it was a brilliant to this day. I believe my God, why can't they just do what he did? The novel. <laughs> one? Dinosaur. Okay. And my thing was an over the top, crazy, uh, take off on the exaggerated ideas. By the way, the, the devil god thing that comes from Mass in the Pit. Yes. As a matter of fact, you know, at the end when Roni is facing that thing, it's very much like me in the in the claw of of that <laughs> thing. And again, it was a parody of all the science fiction movies I had seen from the fifties and sixties that meant something to me. Exaggerated over the top melodrama of those movies. Uh, if I could have me in this film, it would have been Dominic Frontieri's scores for the Outer Limits, which were all exaggerated. Da, 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 you know, like all of this <laughs> wild, insane stuff. Uh, 
So, yeah, you know, eventually Tim Burton optioned it as well. And he was going to do that first before Mars Attacks. Uh, Jurassic scared him off a little. And he said, all right, let me not realizing when he put Mars Attacks into production that Independence Day was also happening. So he was going to get screwed no matter which way he turned on that one. Uh, But that would have been silly, too. It would have been first level, you know, the obvious thing you do with a parody. No, no offense. That's what Mars Attacks was. It was your basic uh, parody, right. uh, 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 which to me, uh, here's the other thing. I, in addition to optioning Dinosaurs Attack to do as a movie, uh, well, of course, these other guys are way bigger than I have, so their options kind of canceled mine out. But I also optioned Mars Attacks. After we did Pumpkin, it was like, uh, let's do Mars Attacks way before Hollywood even knew what it was uh, and do it great, do it the way it originally was. So Mark Carducci and I was my writing partner on Mars Attacks, my childhood buddy, um, who committed suicide years later. I'm godfather to his beautiful young daughter. Uh, uh, anyway, we wrote a script on Mars Attacks, or at least the first third of a script, which was kind of like... The challenge in doing Mars Attacks as a movie, straight, uh, all the different aspects of it. You have the military aspect, you have the personal aspect, you have, okay. So we created the notion of a family that gets together to, to, to celebrate mom and dad's anniversary. And as they're all together from the different walks of life, they all get together to do this. Oh, my goodness, during that evening of celebration, war breaks out. Nobody knows what's going on and whatever. All we know is that all of the people in the family, have to split up and go. the young man who was in the military is called back to his uh, uh, the, w- w- the one of the woman uh, a woman whose husband was kind of this nervous guy they're on the road and you have the panic in year zero stuff on the road so through one family i was able to everything that mars attacks gave us mm. and keep it cozy all right uh so it was really good uh i took we took it everywhere we took it to uh James Cameron, you know, whatever. And we were told the same thing by everybody. We don't think the War of the Worlds is coming back. And I said, but God, how could you not think the War of the Worlds? It's Star Wars on Earth. People are enjoying watching spaceships and weird looking creatures. Why wouldn't they enjoy seeing familiar landmarks blown apart by these (laughs) super fast spaceships and things it doesn't make sense it's someone's going to do it you know if if we don't no we we don't that's what they told me now cameron had come close with the terminator because the skeletal uh terminators were like the mars attacks in terms of the skull face it caught Mm -hmm. that horror thing because the skull face makes you think of death and horror and all that so mm-hmm. he had come, listen those guys zapping away were pretty much the mars attacks that that we wanted uh so hollywood attacks they didn't think war of the worlds was coming back thank you a few years later <laughs> we're getting alien invasion scenarios dropping from the ceiling whether they're the same year you got mars attacks the, the funny version and independence day and then you've got i've got uh, so many tv shows about aliens dropping in and all that and i'm going yeah you, you know, have the pulse uh, on. Thank you. you know? well, so uh, <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to ask about if you're going to make a dinosaur attack movie, because obviously Mars Attacks is a huge Mars Attacks was a huge influence from 50s um, movies like This Island Earth, uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers, mm-hmm. all the Ray Harryhausen movies. If you're going to do Dinosaurs Attack, would you like to see it as a Ray Harryhausen style claymation? Did, is that how you envisioned a movie? Or after seeing Jurassic Park, do you take it that slick CGI route? 
that's a good question. At this stage of the game, uh, with the direction of where the Jurassic Park movies are going, this next one, it, it, it's now Dinosaurs Attack officially, because the whole world is yeah. being in, invaded by them. So we have finally got to the point where it is now, Park is now literally Dinosaurs Attack, with the exception of the metaphysical aspect. Uh, if I was going to do a new movie, first of all, to differentiate it from the Jurassic World movies, I would try to be, I would try to do the RoboCop approach. I would, I would try, I'd say, make this really ultra-violent and disagreeable that way. Catch that, but have the satire to take the edge off and go with the melodrama. Full blast. Uh, a thing, you know, almost like maybe Tarantino could, could do justice. Go with that and don't be ashamed of it. Revel in it. Um, and the way Tarantino would take music from old movies. Yeah, I would make a deal with United Artists, MGM, <laughs> and use some of the Outer Limits cues here and there. Because yeah. that's that's what I'm doing a takeoff on. The over-the-top melodrama, you know, it, 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 you couldn't go far enough in terms of the, ex not only humor, I just mean in terms of the intent. I, I love Outer Limits because, uh, particularly the first year, the Joseph Stepano ones, because it was so extreme in terms of uh, it took you to the outer limits. It took you as far as you could go uh, uh, in terms of uh, scary things at you with scary music and all of that. And that's what those movies were. They were chillers. They were science fiction thrillers and chillers. Uh, so if I did uh, or was given the reins to do a dinosaurs attack movie, I, first of all, I, 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 maybe I would just call up Sam Raimi, you know, because yeah. uh, he'd be another guy that would get it, that understands you know, uh, 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 the combination of the satire, but serving the melodrama. Would I use stop motion? If I use stop motion, it would lock in the era and, and what I was doing a takeoff on, because that's all you had for those kind of right. movies, other than Godzilla guys in suits. Uh, but the problem with stop motion, of course, is that it reminds you that you're looking at uh, something that you're winking at and, right. and um you know, it, it's 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 a hard call on that. Uh, I, I think I would I would I would hold off on even deciding what I would do with the effects. I would just make sure the script and was right, and then it would be that where I'd say, "Do we? Get, you know, something? I think stop motion would be great. We have to because because that would that would be the first of all the most obvious way to differentiate it from from Jurassic, yeah. right? Uh, but as long as it wasn't like. Kate, the parody right. didn't make it seem <laughs> it would have serious stop motion it, it would have because it would call that Harryhausen 50s era beast of 2000 fathoms mm -hmm. you know godzilla era stuff and i think it would be so cool to bring back that style but you're right it, to enhance the comedy you have to use it to enhance the realism right and let yeah. the comedy yeah. be the 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 camp be the comedy you don't you don't want it to to overshadow itself i i really the, yeah, like humor, that approach the humor comes out of the absurd natural things that would happen as a result of happening yeah. and it's a parody of our society and of our world too you know and if mars attacks you had a you had a uh, a saucer zapping a building all well and good uh but say in dinosaurs attack if a, if a dinosaur is destroying a mcdonald's it becomes a takeoff and a parody of our commercialism of how because we laugh at that you wouldn't laugh at the generic building you would right. laugh at the mcdonald's 
and yet the McDonald's is part of our real world. So you just use your real world and, and cut loose and then everything kind of takes care of itself. <laughs> you're, still, you're still going to play Elias Thorne in the movie, right? Well, Elias Thorne is rapidly aging. I'll have to have a toupee <laughs> because originally my hair was kind of like the George Jetson thing. That was that was the look, the the well-intentioned scientist, right? The same scientist with a crazy project. Another movie that was that was a tremendous influence on Dinosaur's Attack was the film Crack in the World, um, where again you had uh, Dana Andrews playing a guy who's sort of doing this for his own reasons, and of course he winds up possibly destroying his own planet. Uh, <laughs> But again, you had central operations and a bunch of guys around screens doing doing their thing. You know, uh, all those movies, uh, even Fantastic Voyage and whatever. Yeah. We had all these these guys, you know, in front of screens. And, and uh, I wanted that. Uh, I guess there's a lot of the time tunnel, too, with this, too, because I had the screen where you could. You yeah. Know, uh, which, you know, once it's a parody, you could rip off anything. Anything. <laughs> and, you're, and you're covered. Right. Right. You know. I just, well, I just want to see the devil dinosaur appear like that. that we're talking to like, I want to like that devil dinosaur is one of the greatest cards. I wanted ever. to create something complete because I remember saying there's only so much you could do with recognizable dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Uh, let's create, I said, I want to create the queen alien of this story. That's awesome. That you're used nice. to see her. Right? And then you're going to have something really cool at the end. We've never seen. And Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed that no one ever made a garage kit out of that thing because no one ever did. Uh, well, this is what like dinosaurs attacks is one of those things. So Aaron and I, we went to college together. We were pretty close in college. We did effects together. We eventually moved out to Los Angeles separate times, but then roomed together and we're peas in a pod. We know every reference that each other makes. Dinosaurs attack was one of those few things that we didn't know completely as well as we thought. I was like, really? And then once you started doing the podcast, not as many people know about this as you'd think. And if you Google it, you will see the people that know, know it and love it. Yeah, but yeah. it's not as widely spread as you think. But once you start looking at it, you're like, why would it not be? It's it's gold, especially. For a kid. <laughs> um, now, Thank you so much. I want to <laughs> share with you. I told you that I had this. Um, I collect original comic art for years. I was trying to find paintings from this series and I couldn't find any, not even like hints. And I would see that some people thought maybe it got destroyed or different product or, you know, the artists kept them or families kept them or gift them as gifts. And that was it. But I'd never heard a whisper. And at Comic-Con one year, must have been like 15 or 16, 2015 or 16. There's a big uh, auction. And Greg, Greg Goldstein from mm -hmm. IDW is the president of IDW at the time. IDW was kind of co-sponsoring the, the, the auction and he threw in a bunch of pages from the dinosaur attacks comic mm -hmm. yeah. and there was a bunch of pages and he seemed like he knew him. So after the auction, I introduced myself and I was like, I don't know if you're aware, but there was a big comics, a uh, big card series from the eighties. And I was like, I've loved that series. I'm trying to find the art from that series. He was like, I own a ton of art from that series. So I was like, really? So me and him kicked off a friendship based on that. And I was eventually able to wrestle my favorite card from him, which was, <laughs> Lunch break, which has a couple of, and I had to look this name up and how to pronounce it because it's wacky, but it's Parasaurolophus. Parasaurolophus. But it's just the para guy. You know what it is? It's the duckbill dinosaur. For those of you guys who are not watching on YouTube, I'm holding up, and you should go to YouTube and watch your stuff on YouTube. But it was my favorite card as a kid 
because it's got these two hornbill dinosaurs that every kid who knows dinosaurs knows that they eat plants. There's no two ways <laughs> yeah. about it, man. They Absolutely. eat plants and they've ripped open a school bus and are shoveling children into their <laughs> mouth. And it's just, it's just fucking ludicrous. And the, the, my favorite part of it is there was the same dinosaur also got a sticker in this set. Oh yeah. That's right. There's the best of the baby carriage, the baby that. carriage in one hand, he's holding a baby carriage. And in the other hand, he's mushing the baby in his mouth. There is a bloody pacifier and a bloody severed leg falling out of his mouth and the baby's arm is coming out of his bloody mouth. Yet on the back and the, the back of those stickers had the truth about the whatever. And on it, it said I was going to like, justify all the yeah, horrible like, just so you know, we know. That sticker says uh, a gentle vegetarian dinosaur, you know, the paracephalophilus. And I was like, I love that you guys knew that. But we're like, fuck it, this dinosaur is eating this baby. And it's just like, that's the balls to the wall that the kids loved about this. Series. Okay, now think about, think about the different levels of parody there. Okay. Sure, yeah. I mean, I mean, right, you hit the nail on the head, right? I said, but wait a minute, these were nice dinosaurs. Why are they? Okay, all of my dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> became monsters mm-hmm. because dinosaurs in the movies were monsters and you may remember in the original king kong we had a brontosaurus or i should say the patasaurus although i think brontosaurus is back uh, as an acceptable name uh, uh chasing the sailors and the one guy climbs up the tree and the brontosaurus you know yeah eats up whatever so it, 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 movie movie dinosaurs they ignored uh, uh whatever their dispositions were they were just monsters so that's one level of parody but then there are other levels of parody there too uh uh you know it's fun oh before i even forget isn't it interesting how so many movie monsters are based on the designs of dinosaurs because this particular para some awful thing whatever it is was really like the alien with the way that that head and 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 pumpkin head is very much like the uh, Protoceratops, some other one that that kind of looks that yeah, way. Yeah. Uh, so it was occurring to me that my God, yeah, so many of the designers of movie monsters really were inspired by these these dinosaurs. Uh, but obviously, get, get, getting back to this particular, yeah, you know, it, it, it's obviously the school bus, uh, the, 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 you know, getting kids right where they live and. <laughs> You know, just just going crazy. Well, Aaron and I love we've actually done a whole episode called The Kids Are All Right, where we talked about movies that were hardcore enough to just destroy kids, like yeah, unapologetically just, just <laughs> kids. And this series obviously didn't shy away from that. Was you remember that you guys had to pump the brakes one step too far and somebody or something, even if Elf told you, let's dial it back just a hair. Wow. I mean, babies falling out of monsters' mouths. That's a pretty high line. Like, I, there may be, maybe there wasn't any, but I would love to know what made, didn't make it, what was on the cutting room floor, if there was anything. You know, I would have to do a little more thinking on that. Uh, uh, anything that I came up with on that, <laughs> I went with, as a matter of fact, that was, that was part of what it was, which was like, don't you dare have any research. Just keep going more and more. But uh, sometimes things that are held back are held back for reasons other than violence. It might have been uh, uh, a rights issue or or, or something. 
was there anything I'm trying to think where we might have gone too far with TNA? Uh, I know I, I did a we, we did a Martian one where they, there's a wet T-shirt contest with these beautiful girls. The Maya. So so there were a few things I know we were a little risque that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I'm thinking on that. I really All don't right. remember. Let that. us know. We will, we'll we'll put an addendum or something on the episode. That would be well, by the way. By yeah. the way, in terms of, in terms of these peaceful monster animals being all monsters. Another great one was the uh, uh, the trilobite terror. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the ones a, that actually scared me as a kid, that card. Yeah, because you were able to get the insect horrible thing in that. And the man's face who's being attacked, that's Stan Hart. The, okay. the, the head writer of Carol Burnett and Mad Magazine and all that. <laughs> uh, by the way, it used to be crazy because Stan would be doing his Mad Magazine page. He'd still be doing them. I mean, he made a fortune off of that. Carol Burnett, he had his Emmys, but he still would do the parodies. And he'd come into Tops and, and do stuff for us. Um, and uh, he would borrow my screenplays, meaning when I would do a movie card set uh, in the old days, they would give me uh, the screenplays ahead. Because you have to put these things together six months before the movie came out. Right. Mm. So we did when, when the movie Gremlins came out, I was doing the Gremlins cards. Stan uh, said, hey, Gary, could you uh, let me the script or whatever to Gremlins? And I'm going, okay, a little dangerous. A little, little, okay, okay, Stan. But Stan was such a big, overpowering personality who could tear you to shreds with his wit and often <laughs> did. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, uh, but the joke was on him on that one because he did his parody for Mad Magazine. And then they changed the end of the movie. And his parody reflected the ending that was <laughs> in my script, my draft that I had. So obviously they knew he was working off of uh, an earlier draft. But, <laughs> but there you go. But he used to do that all the time. You know, he's like, oh, can I borrow this or whatever? So, okay, okay. The studios would, you know, sometimes get a little crazy. There yeah. was a period where I, they would lock me in a room with the script. They wouldn't even let me have the script. Oh. Uh, because the, 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 the studios began to get a little tighter about that. When mm-hmm. I first started in the seventies, they were very, very open to these things and would send me stuff. But years later, uh, I would have to actually go read a script and do all my notes and everything, uh, dialogue and all that, because I wouldn't have direct access. anymore. Wow. Yeah. So it makes sense, but wow. It, 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 it changed over the years. Uh, uh, and now everything is so corporate. Uh, it was great. I used to know all the people at the studios in the stills department. Uh, if you needed something, you could make a call and the next day you'd have it. Now you have to go through like 20 people in a system and what took a day would now take like two weeks. Maybe, uh, I would hate to do it this way. It's so dehumanized. Uh, I knew these people for years, work with them. Then as time went on, every time I went up to universal or to paramount or whatever, uh, I'd be dealing with new people. Mm-hmm. They'd be these new young exact, and then the turnaround and whatever, and you know, it, it, everything changed. Like I yeah. guess entertainment became so popular, and these distractions became so big for, the, for that it, it, they had to kind of organize it that way. I, I, I guess I understand it. Uh, well, your work has been so awesome and just throughout the years the trading cards the scripts everything you've done um i have a couple questions left we're getting we're getting just past an hour so we got to start getting into the third act of the film if you will but <laughs> when you were collecting 16 millimeter films you brought this up i got really excited what was your crown jewel what did you have yeah. that you were like i got this movie what was it oh i mean the old 16 millimeter days yeah um uh technicolor prints were always 
the most sought after things. Uh-huh. Now, just very, very, very quickly, uh, uh, you would get a Eastman color print of a movie. It could look very nice if it was brand new. If it was old, it would often turn red. Color would fade. Technicolor prints were done like a printing press where they where they would have the three primary colors or whatever, and they would uh, uh, press them together almost the way like the way photos were printed in magazines, where sometimes they even be a little out of registration. But they gave you a depth and, and a look and a, and a feel that was so much greater than what any other film process was. The lack level uh, in a technical print was, was incredible. So those were always the most sought after prints in your collection, original Technicolor prints. One of the earliest Technicolor prints that I got was uh, This Island Earth, uh, which was a movie that was aglow with Technicolor. Awesome. Uh, I still have that printed. And the inspiration for the Mars Attacks Martians. Actually came across the the old issue of World Famous Movie Monster magazine, which had a page cut out where Len Brown had the Metaluna Mutant and sent it (laughs) to the artist to imitate it. So lawsuits, folks. But anyway, (laughs) I didn't just say that. Uh, So, yeah, it was literally based on the Metaluna Mutant. It was also based on the racist views of Japanese soldiers in World War II. They were little, they were puny. Tops had done World War II series with Japanese soldiers doing exactly what the Martians did to us. They actually used the same compositions. So that's why the skull face, I hate to say it, with the teeth and the fact that they were kind of little, they were reimagined Japanese soldiers that Tops had used in their Horrors of War series. And uh, it's pretty amazing how that stuff just came back in regurgitated form. That's wild. Um, yeah, no, now, you're right, though, because I, I have seen the ta- Tops Horrors of War, which, like, how tasteless now we're like a gasp. But back then, that's <laughs> that was that's that was part of the, the war machine, you know? And, and, and it, we would also reuse concepts and designs. For instance, if you look at the painted Batman cards that we did in the mid 60s, uh, you'll see the composition of maybe Batman being zapped by a freeze ray. That's exactly what was used in the Yeah. yeah. So. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, when I did Dinosaur's Attack, I deliberately revisited things because it was part of the parody. Right. Over the years, they would just simply do that because that was just what they did. Sure. <laughs> it's easier to do that. Yeah. Um, and I guess one of the, one of the things I have to give you a lot of credit for is your ability to write a great title. Um, whether it's <laughs> thank God for alliteration, yeah. alliteration, well, <laughs> you know, that's, one that's of, the whole thing. <laughs> one of my favorites I don't think ever got made was Seven Gargoyles of Satan. I'd watch that movie in a oh, heartbeat. So. <laughs> that was the wow, wow that you even remember that. Yeah, that was the original Pumpkinhead. Uh, Mark Carducci and I. Uh, like I say, we, we were we were pals in Brooklyn and uh, we were doing a Super 8 or 16, I even forget now, uh, Supernatural story, uh, uh, The Demon of Revenge. He wasn't called Pumpkinhead, uh, but, it, but that's that was when that creature was first conceived. And uh, in our film, uh, God, I forgot how much we even shot of this. We never finished it. Uh, we used my creature from the Black Lagoon mask as the Demon of Revenge. So the original Pumpkinhead was the creature from the Black Lagoon, which makes sense because if you look at Pumpkinhead, inside that 
inside every rubber-suited head-to-toe monster is the creature from the Black Lagoon anyway. But that was the direct... What we did is we used that mask, and then we put kind of a veil over it. We did something to make it look a little more demonic. Uh, but, yeah, that was... I still have that mask, as a matter of fact. Wow. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> That's so cool. So good. One of the best-designed creatures, let alone... Uh, oh, like movie okay. creatures, oh, creatures suits. Absolutely, like, head to toe. To do what it did, uh, get out of here. Fucking great. I mean, give it that design still holds up. You know, I mean, it, it could stand right alongside the Predator and Pumpkin, any of the more Easily. modern ones. And Easily. and and yeah, yeah. And it functioned underwater, like. The predator got wet. The alien got wet, but like not swimming. Not yeah, and, yeah. The, and when yeah. you did see them swimming, it would be CGI anyway. Yeah, this was this was real, and uh, no, no, it, it definitely made a difference. Well, real quick with creature design, I'm hoping I'm right before I say this, but if you look over your head, Gary, over the, your chair, there's a little frame pi- picture on the wall behind you. Is that an alien? Oh, let me. Uh, you see oh. it on your head. Okay, what we're talking about? Sit back. Uh, sit, yeah, you sit yeah, back. yeah. There, there's, as a matter of fact, here. Let me, uh, let me get out of the that way. That looks like a xenomorph on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's other, other cool things here. I'll show you. Keep looking, and you'll oh, see. Oh, there's a creature from Black Outrageous Goon. things. Okay, what's what you're seeing right oh, wow. here? Uh, uh, that's the sixth finger from the Outer Limits uh, head, but be, on top of it. Those are the original John Chambers storyboards for the oh, sixth cool. finger uh, as he's transforming, cool. right? And this is my office where, I mean, I got crap all over my apartment, but the office is where everything is just completely insane. I mean, yeah. yeah you got it all. <laughs> yeah, the Red Sonyas, the Frankensteins, the Xenomorphs, uh, the yeah, Sun yeah. Demon. The giant predator <laughs> back there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. There's... Um, Wow! Over here. Oh, there's the yeah. mutant. Yeah, there's a mutant and Vampira, uh, Vampirella, Vampirella, and, yeah. and uh, I don't know what else we got. There's Which, correct me if I'm wrong, you one. wrote a vamp script, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I wrote the uh, the TV movie, uh, the, the the Roger Corman, Roger Corman. Uh, yeah, film. Corman one. Uh, that script was uh, Jesus Christ! This thing, Lauren <laughs> does need a hairpiece. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I wrote that, and, and um, that script, when I first wrote the script, got great reader reports. Tim Burton was interested in it for a while, whatever. Then it wound up with Roger, and uh, <laughs> it's such a shame that what I wrote really couldn't have been filmed. Some of it still survives. Uh, I tried to take what Archie Goodwin uh, did with the Vampirella comic strip. I mean, Forey Ackerman created it, but Archie really made it into something. He brought in the Lovecraftian angle. Yeah. Uh, of the now, I came up with the idea that oh no no so this was Archie's idea. Um, some of my cool ideas mixed in with Archie's, but the whole notion of uh, vampirism coming from the stars, mm. you know, that Dracula was actually an extraterrestrial, and he came here ages ago, took the name of his home planet Draculon. Okay, which sounded goofy, of course, when Forey created it, it was goofy. Archie found a way to make that goofy thing work. Uh, that's what Dracula, that's why he took his, that's why that planet is named that. Uh, <clears throat> what a great idea to use that. And because Vampirella, who was basically inspired for, he was inspired by Barbarella when he created it. Sure. Cirella came from the stars herself. So how great that Dracula also is an extraterrestrial, that they've been here forever. Vampirism is, a, is a, an alien condition, if you will. 
Um, and and Vampy had different powers here. Now, what I what I there are scenes in that where I literally did adaptations of moments from the best of the comics when she's when she's chained up and and uh, her bloodlust is getting the better of her. Uh, and yet, you know, Adam Van Helsing, the, the leading man, is thrown in there. Is she going to attack this man that she's come to care for? Even though it was a vampire hunter, they were, it was cool that they were kind of allies. And she has to control her bloodlust. I, mean, I actually took sound bites, dialogue bites from Archie's original script. Nobody caught any of that. <laughs> yeah. So you do your best and you, you, you try to make these things work and whatever happens, happens, right? You know. Look, you have certainly made a ton of stuff work. I mean, Dinosaur's Attack was formulative for me, for sure. And I know I'm not the only one just because searching for that art all these years, I saw so many more fans. Whenever we have someone on the show, Aaron and I try to do a bunch of research. So we've read a bunch of interviews where people like us are just loving these series. And that's just that's just the one that spoke most directly to me. You've done so many other amazing things. It has been awesome to sit here and chat killer dinosaurs and yes. Mars attacking with you. See, it was it was worth all the aggravation of trying to get this thing set up. Yeah, yeah that's the other thing. We got to give we Gary some troubles, right? huge, a huge thank you because we had a little bit of trouble getting a Zoom set up and he was very patient while we worked out some kinks so he made it work. Uh, no, 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 no. Hopefully you've had a good time. One way or another, no, we were going to make sure this happened. Uh, this no, was no, really I, I, fun. We listen, could talk monsters all day, so man. It's much pleasure to know that all this stuff you got to remember, it was really true. I was a kid who needed this as a kid, and sure. I got it from the people who were creating it for me. The fact that I could do this for new kids, young kids, the same way that I got it, they, I could give it to them. How wonderful. Like I, I, I felt I was doing something good. Uh, um, as ludicrous as these things are, I can make your day because they made my day when I was yeah. there. Even you if it's know. just to be subversive. Get yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that's still fun. That's it. That's the starting point, right? Yeah. Uh, well, on the show, we do a secret handshake for the Launchpad podcast. Uh, we, we'd like you to join us with it. This is how we do it. It's, it's kind of funny because we're not in person, but we do it as a high five. We come in sideways, then we turn our hand up, and then we go and blast it off like a rocket ship. Will you pantomime it with us? Okay. I'm Here we go. We'll show you how. We'll do it nice and slow. Well, okay. Turn into a rocket ship. <laughs> oh no, this is like. Oh, yep. There we go. Blast hey, that's, that's cool. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's, that's better than the Spock thing. You know, no, I, I like that. Wow. I like You're that. the first person to ever call that cool. I'd like to put that on the record. <laughs> no, 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 you know, you know, you made it cool. Yeah, this probably it was the going up, the rocket <laughs> our, going up that the sells it. That's the rocket. I, I got it. Yeah. No, 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 no. Well, very good. I approve. Well, guys, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and our website, LaunchpadPod.com. Check us out on our YouTube. You can see our pretty faces saying funny things. Uh, Gary, <laughs> let people know, where can they follow you? Where, where, If they want to know what Gary's up to, where can they go? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, oh. That's the easiest place that people find me and just catch me there or send a message there if you want. Well, this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much again. And guys, we are the Rocketeers and we are out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.